This is episode 114 of the Speed Metal Cycling Podcast. Hello, hello, we are back. Uh, you are listening to the Speed Metal Cycling Podcast, episode 114th. I am your host, the almighty Skull Crusher. And as always, I have two very, very special guests with me. Um, first, I'm going to introduce my brother, who is back after, I don't know, like two episodes or something like that. While he was moving and doing other things that were probably way better and way more exciting than recording a podcast. Klaus, how are you doing? I'm doing better than Mike. Absolutely, you're doing better than Mike, because he's on a date with an ugly chick tonight. That's why he's not here. But covering for Mike is our very good friend, Nate King. Nate, how are you doing, dude? I'm excellent. Just watching you... uh, Southern California drivers trying to negotiate rain. And are you better than Mike? I'm always better than Mike. Okay, that's good. Are you related to Don King? I wish. No. What about... Big doesn't match. What about King Diamond? Who the hell is King Diamond? Oh, that's it. You're off the podcast. Oh, my God. Are you for real? Did you you just Hang up on this guy. Hold hold on. Google. Google. King Diamond. Of Merciful Fate fame? Oh, Jesus. By the way, uh, anyone listening in southern New Jersey... Uh, go onto Craigslist right now, and you can buy a drum set that was used by one of King Diamond's drummers. It was owned by. Really? Yeah, it's up there right now. Yeah, by the time this this actually posts and people can download and listen, it'll be gone. Oh, because it's such a it's a Tama Imperial Star or something. It's kind of a not in great condition, but. Go check it out. Any of you drummers or fans of uh, grown men that wear makeup and top hats? Nate, did you find images and are you well-versed now in who we're talking about? I've got the Wikipedia down, so we should be... Uh, he's born in Denmark? Yes. King is, yeah, man. Huh. King is Danish. You're just now getting this information? Are you on dial-up? <laughs> are you well, on dial-up? 56K. <laughs> oh. But so, you know, I mean, I think that I found out that King Diamond was Danish in, I don't know, 1987 or so. <laughs> Come on, man. Get with it. Well, anyway, regardless of King Diamond, I was telling these guys before we started recording that today at work, there was a unicorn in my office, like a real life unicorn in my office. And I told this girl there who's like, oh, my God, I love unicorns. I got to go downstairs and see it. I was like, you know, when you rub a unicorn's horn then grants you one wish. And everybody knows what they should ask for, right? Do you guys know what you should ask for from a unicorn when you rub its horn? That unicorn's going extinct? Well, close. You rub its horn, and then you ask for a pegasus, which is what everybody really wants. Then the pegasus comes down from the sky and hoofs the unicorn right in the face, kills it, and then you have a kick-ass pegasus to hang out with. But does the pegasus have a horn? Of course not. Pegasus only has kick-ass wings, and it flies. I I had this discussion episode? actually recently with somebody whether or not a Pegasus had um, horns or not. And if you look it up, 
if you do a search for Pegasus, a few of the images have Pegasus with horns, but if you see the quality of the art, the ones that are really good do not have horns. Proof positive Ooh, Pegasus fan that art. Pegasus do not have. Somebody's laughing. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're laughing at the fact that there's an adult talking about Pegasus to other with other grown men. And, and Googling Pegasus. And, yeah, that, that fan art is not good with the horns. Yeah, whenever there's there's a horn, it, it looks like a kid drew it. No good. No good. But anyway, that's the Pegasus uh, beginning. We, I uh, mean, uh, side, side, whatever. Anyway, we're back to, or not back to, but we're actually going to start recycling. So, the Tour de France uh, 2015 finally ended. I want to know, Klaus, since you were on the road out there trucking it, did you, uh, did you watch any of the tour at all? I watched here and there. I was off and on. I watched some of the key stages for sure, so that was interesting. But I would kind of lose track. It is. It's like uh, it's like a soap opera. You miss a few episodes and then you catch back up. Yeah, yeah. It's like a really boring soap opera. It takes three weeks to finish. Which is actually that, a good thing. It's a mini series. It's like a lifetime movie mini series. There you go. There you go. Or like a Netflix season that gets released all at once. Well, you could potentially okay. watch it all at once, yeah. What if the Tour de France was all released at once on Netflix? Would you binge watch? And how much could you, considering how much, let's not say the, ep- the episodes would be like six hours, but let's say they're four hours, three or four hour stages. No, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. Would you, I, how much could you watch? I, would I could s- watch most of it. I would skip the, the the stages that I normally skip. Any any sprinter spa- stage, I yeah. skip. And if something incredible happens, like afterwards I read about it, then I'll download the stage and then maybe see it then. But this year, it didn't happen at all. Now, say there, I... Mm, see, there's not this many one-day races. But it, what if there was 21 one-day races? Would you win, binge watch those as opposed to... Whatever, like a full grand tour. I don't know. I would. I, let's say that at the end of the spring classics, they released all the spring classics in a bundle. I would probably watch them again. All yeah, like up on Netflix at once. Nate, because, would you watch all of them at once? Would you binge watch that? Um, not if. Uh, I mean, if like everything was, if if all journalistic coverage was shut out of all the races up to that point, probably. Well, no, it all happened. It was taped in a soundstage somewhere, and it was all released. It's just, it's uh-huh. a Netflix show. It would be the okay. first time anybody okay. sees it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, no, I'm really good at the binge watching, so. I just like the idea of, like, I, I know that sometime around January or February, I start to get, like, a, like I start get to, to get antsy, and I usually go back and watch all the spring classics again. Uh-huh. I, I yeah. always do that. So really? I know that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I watch more bike racing in the winter than when bike racing is actually happening. Wait, wait, wait. Do you watch old races? Are you watching cyclocross? Are you watching old tapes of Redlands? What are you watching? It's <laughs> <laughs> a serious question, Nate. Um, most of the classics. Really? And mountain stages. Mountain stages and classics. I just rewatch all the classics. Yeah. I usually, yeah. Really? I, I, yeah. Yeah. I like, mean, really? Right now, yes. like right now, you can go back and let's say the 2007 Paris Roubaix. Watch it, 
and chances are you don't really remember who's going to win right away. As you watch it, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah now I remember. But it's awesome. It's it's totally engaging again. Oh, if, totally. I watch like old races. Yeah, I mean, the, you don't remember who who wins, so there's a unless there. they're the ones made by whatever that goddamn company that re-released everything on VHS, and they would go world like cycling publication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. 1987, whatever. To like Vuelta España, and you're like, wait, who won that? Well, no, that's a bad example. Well, they'll tell uh, you in the front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like, in the one-day class, it'd be like Tyler Hamilton's revenge, and you're like, "Damn it, I forgot <laughs> who won the 2002 Liege Bastille Liege or whatever." Yeah, no, I, I watch a lot of those. I like a, I, I I watch a lot of the '90s ones. I just like that. All those guys were just so rough and tough, and just they look like truckers. Love it. See, so anyway. I wonder how the racing of today will look in ten years. It'll look awesome again. Yeah, it'll look awesome. It's all cyclical right now. They look like a bunch of pussies with their helmets and stuff, but it'll because. You know, like next they're gonna have to wear like like a mouth guard shoulder and, pads and shoulder sure. pads or something. Ooh, Kevlar lycra and yeah, yeah, and like big not shoulder pads that like a lineman would use in American football, but like the lighter ones that like a kicker would use. So then you'll be like, wow, they didn't even have shoulder pads back then. Yeah, exactly. Or Man, those pads. guys were tough. Those would look so awkward on a bike yeah. racer. Of course, but then we all thought that helmets would look dope, you know, you know what I'm saying? The first time, like, when the first guys were putting on helmets in the 90s, he was like, eh, what the hell? So, so at a race in Colombia and Medellin, I saw a guy with uh, the full face helmet, like a BMX kind of downhill helmet, and he had <laughs> pads, like the pads that a lot of downhill people would wear. Um, like over his jersey, and he raced with a whistle, but he was not absolutely not like a race official. He was in the race. I have pictures of him climbing up Las Palmas in Medellin, and he like if anyone got in his way, he would like whistle. I think he probably crashed before it was his first race or something, and he was like, "If anyone gets close to me, I'm going to blow this whistle." But he's like climbing and like breathing in and out through the whistle. That's it so was Colombian. Would that be yeah. allowed, do you think, in a regular race? I'm sorry? Do you think that would be allowed in a regular race, like full-faced helmet and, a, and, and like a whistle? No. That would be awesome. You know, because I was thinking about this. Okay, so Adam Yates and Simon Yates are identical twins, right? So yeah. what if they wear each other's jerseys? Then they could potentially ride twice as long as a... As, as, you know what I'm saying? They could attack two days in a row. It'd be the same guy, but it's not the same guy. Like, um, did, wasn't what was that movie that Lindsay Lohan was in as twins when oh. she was a little girl? Parent Trap. Parent, Parent Trap. Trap. Yes. Yeah. They, they could totally do that. Except that now they have the GPS transponders on the bike. I guess they could just switch the bike. Yeah, switch, uh, mm. in the morning, they just pretend to be the other one for the day. It can't be that but, difficult. But wait, at, at like the finish for the... The, the testing, if, like, the biopassport stuff doesn't match. Mm. Oh, man. Uh, Why do you have to yeah. ruin my fun? Leave it to the guy with actual experience racing to foil our plan. Yeah. Way to go, dude. Sorry. God damn you. Because I was thinking that... Why do we even have you on here? Uh, okay, so last episode, we actually got up to uh, stage 16 is the last stage that we talked about. And then we were talking about how TJ was doing so well, and we were, like, kind of happy for him, whatever. And then stage 17, he gets sick. 
and retires and cries and stuff. And he was uh, really, really sad. And so when I'm watching, I tell my wife, oh, no, TJ retired. And she has a hard time remembering that retirement in cycling doesn't mean that he's 65 and he's retiring. She was like, oh, my God, how old is he? I was like, no. So she made me promise that from now on, I don't, I, I'm never going to say he's retiring, but he's abandoning. So I got to remember. Abandoning's this. better. Yeah. Retiring would confuse even me. Yeah. So he, he abandoned because he was sick and he had like sick in the pooper. So I felt really bad for him and seeing him cry and stuff was kind of tough. But did he have a good 401k? Like what are his options now? Uh, he's a member of the AARP and uh, he had a, some of his money in, in a Roth IRA. I think he's going to be fine. So he was good. So, so yeah. here's the thing. So they were talking about migraines or something, but what was the final I, thing? Like, what was it? I don't know what the final thing was. I just know that in Eurosport they talked about it like being a, some sort of gastrointestinal. Yeah, problem. I think it was a stomach bug. Yeah. Oh, no. He had the poops. Which Yuck. has got to suck because having the poops sucks enough. And then you're like doing really well in the Tour de France and you have to retire because of the poops. And that just sucks. But they, they just announced, what was that, yesterday or whatever, that he's actually going to the Vuelta. So he's not going to race here in the U.S. Um, he's going to, I guess, lead BMC in La Vuelta. I mean, Sammy Sanchez is supposed to be the leader, but... We all know Sammy Sanchez. Talk about retiring. He, that dude needs to retire already. So he's going to be co-leader for, for BMC in the Vuelta. And I, I think that's really, really cool because I've, I've actually learned to like TJ Van Garderen quite a bit. Um, at first, I didn't really care much for him. And Nate, don't take offense to this, but I just don't really like American writers that much. You have I'm to with do, you. You have to do something special for me to like you as yeah. an American writer. But then if I like you, then that means I really, really like you. So so what are the exceptions? American writers that I like? Yeah. Um, I think Andrew Talansky, uh, definitely TJ. And I don't know any of these guys personally, so I can't really um, – I don't know. I can't think of any other off the top of my head. But there's, there's a few here and there. I mean none of them are like my favorite. Um. Everyone likes Greg LeMond now, but they hated him a little while ago. Yeah, you know, actually, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Klaus, do you remember when we first, first moved here and we went to visit our cousin in Indiana? He was going to Indiana University at the time. Yes. And he had all He's this- a listener. Wave hello. Oh. oh, hello. I didn't know he was listening. I knew that he had... I, anyway, I remember there were Greg LeMond posters in his room, and I remember being angry about that. Like, oh, Greg LeMond, duh. So I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't have a reason to not like him. I just didn't. Maybe I can it, tell you that. Nate, do you have any American uh, writers that you like above and beyond? Above and beyond? I mean, like, there's all the guys that I've raced with. But yeah, no, yeah but they don't, they don't, don't count. They don't count. Um, yeah, American if you're, writers. If you're personal friends with them, that doesn't count. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, hmm, yeah. Uh, I can tell no, you the one that Alex House. I do like Alex House, and I've never met him. Okay, yeah, see, this, so there House. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a problem. I can tell you that a guy from the past that no one dislikes. I know his name. I know his last name. Andy Hampston. Oh, Andy oh, Hampston. There we go. Yeah, no, of yep. course. Yep. You yep. can't hate Andy Hampston. No, no, no. I love him. But I, I was thinking of, like, current guys. No, I love Andy Hampton. There's just everything about him, everything I know about him. I just absolutely love him. But Wait. Current guys, Danny Pate. 
Uh, yeah, Danny paid. I don't mind. Did I? I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure I've told the story, but I did something very lame, and I couldn't help myself, and I gave a few guys a very light push at the Giro. The guys who were straggling at that stage that was snowy a couple of years ago, and I, so it was so slow that you were just doing like a slow walk. So I would just walk slowly and go, "Would you like a light push?" And Danny Pate said, "Okay," <laughs> and I started to push him. Just very lightly, you know, knowing that I'm not, I'm going to go with him for a while and I'm not going to like push him and throw, you know, I think I know how to do it. So I started to do it and he actually said a little lower on the back, like (laughs) my hand was too high and he corrected my form. Wait, uh, breaking news. Actually, uh, RCA just gave me a call. Uh, He's been thrown off the Giro. God damn it. I, I meant well. Well, you, but know, you, you know, just got him, just got him disqualified from the, the two years ago. The one guy that refused it and refused it from everyone. These were people that were like a few minutes down from Mark Cavendish. And it was, uh, what's his name? Juan Pablo Lastras from Movistar. Really? He huh. does not. Like, I even had a picture of him because from afar I took it and he's like waving people off. I think he probably had an incident where a stupid drunken fan like just threw him into the barriers or or he's like ocd and thinks that people probably haven't washed their hands in a while maybe but i knew enough to ask so i was mostly dealing with spanish and english speakers and i would go would you like a light push (laughs) and i think they probably looked at me and go this is the stupidest (laughs) cycling fan in history this is dumb (laughs) but danny pay took me up on it but didn't you have like the your your like uh, press credential thing or anything? I did. I but I don't think that they probably they probably didn't think you were a fan. Because let's be honest too, you don't look like a fan. You don't have an inflatable kangaroo. You're not wearing a bikini. Yeah, that's kind of what it takes now, right? Yeah, it's completely ridiculous. Stupid. I, sometimes I don't know what's stupider: people with their shenanigans or the guys in Eurosport complaining about the shenanigans. The complaining about the shenanigans. Acknowledging the shenanigans, I think, is worse than actually participating in said shenanigans. Yeah, like, just let them be. But do you not acknowledge them? Do they, do you just, No, I mean, listen, if it's something, okay, so there was a naked dude uh, on stage, I guess that would have been, oh, on stage 17, is the same stage that, that, yeah, there was a a naked dude, like, jumping around, and uh, I showed it to my wife, and she thought it was disgusting. But she also did say that's the most exciting thing I've ever seen in our bike race. <laughs> it's pretty accurate. It is actually pretty accurate. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if there's a naked dude or something like that, you're kind of like, hey, naked guy, all right. You know, or if there's something like completely nuts, then you do. But when there's people running on this, like beside them, and they're like, oh, stop running around with the guys. You're going to make them crash. And they don't appreciate this. And, and they say it 13 times. Listen, the people that are running next to them are not watching you on TV because they're there running next to the freaking dude. So don't tell them. Not, it's just stupid. But they're saying it for like the next stage for the people that are watching today, but will be there tomorrow. This is Eurosport we're talking about. People in English-speaking countries watch Eurosport. People in France watch Eurosport in French. doesn't really matter because it's French TV, like French 2-3 or whatever the channels are that has the Tour de France. Those people that are going to be there the next day are not going to be watching. Whatever. It doesn't really matter. Anyway, whichever way. Contador crashed on the descent of stage 17. And right after that, uh, Simon Gashke attacked 
20K to go. And then Uran, who had been really active, was on the break again. And um, what else happened that stage? Where does, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the stage that in the break, there were people from Sky and people from Movistar. They both sent two each. And so as the final climb started, then, like, the brakes started getting caught little by little. Meanwhile, the, 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 like, the peloton was getting smaller and smaller. And then the two Movistar guys ended up right in front of Quintana at some point, which was awesome. Valverde was there as well, but let's be honest here. Valverde did not race in Movistar this year at all. This tour, he was mm. racing for himself somewhere else. And then, but the two the well, Sky guys ish. in and out. Come on. Yeah, that's, say, like, I mean, that's the most. That's the most I've seen like teamwork wise out of Valverde in ever. Absolutely. Uh, maybe, but didn't you think it was kind of shitty that he was crying after the tour, saying that it was his dream come true to have been in the podium? And the fact is that Movistar didn't want to risk his third spot, and that's why he didn't really work for Quintana. The whole time, he, he his attacks were so lame. He wasn't burning himself. Look at what Richie Port. Richie Port burned himself for for Froome. That's fair. He did it. Valverde did not. When he's like, "Oh, finally, my dream come true." Your dream come true. What you were supposed to do in in this Tour de France was finish fifty second. That's yeah. what, that's what it should have been. Instead, he worked for his quote unquote dream. So for him to be all happy, you can't be happy. Your team leader finished second. There's yeah. nothing to be happy about. But Nate's point is is correct. Coming from him, this is like amazing, groundbreaking teamwork. Hmm. And by the way, Richie Port, great teammate. But how on earth do you get to that stage of being a pro and you're unable to ride your bike with your hands off the handlebars? <laughs> Wait, when did this happen? <laughs> so send here's Nate the th- that send Nate that animated gift that you sent me. Yeah, this is crazy, Nate, but so uh, not last, the year before, two years ago when Chris Froome won the tour, uh, a friend of ours, Brett, said, did you notice that at the Champs-Élysées and all the pictures and all the video, all the sky riders, you know, had their arms around each other riding and Richie Port had one hand on his handlebars. I don't think that guy can ride without his hands. And I was like, that's impossible, you know, because... No, like he's a, no, no, that's impossible. So I was like, that's a bunch of crap. And sure enough, this year, during the early parts of the last stage, the photographers were taking a picture and Richie Port almost crashed Chris Froome out. Because he can't, right? It comes, it comes so close to being a disaster. Yes. That it's amazing. 100% true. He lets go of, of his hand. It looks like his knee hits his handlebar or something, and, and the bike goes all wobbly and stuff. And it's one of those things you're just expecting him to crash. And then Chris Froome kind of helps him gain control. He puts one hand on the handlebar, and then they take the picture. It's hilarious. I'm, I hope someone got good pictures of that because he's probably making very funny faces. I know that like everyone's very, oh my God, pros riding their bike. That's the most amazing thing ever. But there are a lot of pros that are really, really bad at riding bikes. 
It, mm. Clearly, this video shows some of that. I also, I remember when my brother and I were at the Tour de France seeing Ryder sign in. I loved seeing how many of them took like 832 tries to clip in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, they were like twirling the pedal and like slamming down. I'm like, dude, slamming down's not going to help. You're on the wrong side of the pedal, <laughs> Mr. Kofidis. <laughs> So weird. In the same way that I mentioned, like, people are like, oh, the pros, like, the, you know, they're like tan and their legs are oiled up. There's a rider from Movistar, and I don't know who it was that I saw at Liege, Bresson Liege, whose legs looked like a hairy pizza. (laughs) (laughs) It was weird. I was like, it's a pepperoni pizza with like Brillo pads on top. I was like, it was a weird mess. And to be fair, maybe he has a skin condition and, you know, it sucks. But I was like, wow, yeah, this is not, this is the opposite of pro in capital letters. <laughs> uh, speaking of pro, uh, so when Geshke won that, that stage, the interview, the post-interview, they put a, like a flat bill hat on him. He has a tiny little head and this hat was so big, it fit well over his ears, but not in a cool, like... I'm a, like a BMX rider kind of thing. No, he looked completely and absolutely ridiculous. So, and he's got like no upper body, yet his biceps are kind of big. big. I know. He is a really weird looking dude. It's much like when you see him on the bike, too, his position on the bike is kind of aggressive. He has big legs as well. And that beard and stuff, he looks yeah. kind of menacing. You think he's going to take his like glasses and his helmet off. He's going to be like this lumberjack. And he's not at all. Oh, he looks like a little pinhead. He's hilarious. So kudos to Mr. Simon Geshke. That stage was amazing. But I mean, him winning it was unbelievable. For stage 18 then, uh, Eurosport had a little like thing about uh, Oleg Tinkov. And they allowed, like they gave Tinkov a camera or something or whatever. And I realized that dude is a cartoon. I mean, I know we've talked about him before and how laughable he is. But everything he says, it's like if I were writing a preposterous team owner character, I would write exactly that. And he rides without a helmet, which is even better. They show him riding with a team and stuff, and everybody's, of course, wearing their helmets and stuff. And there he is, no helmet, locks in the air. <laughs> I saw something on Twitter today that said dude. he was the Donald Trump of cycling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's ridiculous. That's about right. Yeah, I don't know. Does he hate Mexicans too? Probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, he hates the Eastern Europeans, so. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't know. Most Russians, like, crazy Russians like that, like, super upper-tier Russians, hate Eastern Europeans in general. They see them as dirty and whatever. So friggin' racist, but whatever. Well, that was think uh, of. But anyway, and the last stage for me was awesome. I just wish the tour would have been that good. The whole way. There was a couple of good stages here and there in the middle. But that stage that Stibar won was unbelievable. There was a lot of good stages, but that last one was just amazing. And I just wish that Movistar and Kitana would have tried that a little bit more a little earlier. And that the the Pyrenees wouldn't have been such a uh, predictable procession. It was... Yeah, I got bored after after Quintana lost that much time in the Pyrenees and didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, it was. I was I was really disappointed. But Nate, what what you didn't 
keep in mind is that what was still yet to happen was Richie Port almost crashing because he can't ride his bike. I should have watched the Champs-Élysées stage. I yeah. feel just... But I don't think yeah. I've, I'm not going to say I've never seen that stage, but I can't remember ever watching that last stage. I always, I don't, what the hell do I care? It's a stupid What about stage. when Chris Horner chased Hincapie down? That was fun. Yeah, but see, that's the kind of thing that I hear about later. I don't remember watching it, but... Chris I do, I did watch that. I have to admit. And right away, I was like... That was like, what, 2008? 2000... Mm, no. no, it was like... It was two years ago. Yeah, that was like 2011, wasn't it? 11? Something like that. 12, oh. even. Something like that. Yeah. I definitely watched that, because I was like, oh, boy. But you know what else you're missing by not watching that stage? The endless um, shots of the obelisk up and down. Oh, yeah. That's in the Place de la Concorde. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I mean, want to see an obelisk the, in Paris because that's where they belong, obelisks, you know. Hey, it, it was sent to them as a gift to the people care. of the Louvre. Listen, so I that don't want any secretary anywhere in the United States, whatever your receptionist anywhere in the United States thinks, Paris is not all that in a bag of chips. I just don't like that city. I never have. Uh, I've been there many times because I'm like, oh, I don't like Paris. We're like, well, have you been there? Yes, I've been there. It's dirty and it smells bad. And It's not dirty. It's a pretty dirty city. If you compare it to like... Well, okay, I was going to say Marseille. Marseille is actually probably dirtier. But Paris versus Bogota. Oh, Bogota. No, hands down. Wait, okay. are you asking what's better or cleaner? Cleaner. Oh, cleaner. Oh, probably Paris. Well, parts of Bogota are pretty clean. Parts of Paris are pretty clean, too. I don't know. I just, I, listen, the, the thing with Paris is that it's, it's been made out to be this humongous, just amazing thing, and it's so romantic, and it's so gorgeous, and whatever. But that's not the French people's or the Parisians' fault. I didn't say I hate Parisians, although I kind of do, but I just don't See? like Paris. I just don't like Paris. But I can tell you this. I have a very good friend who is a Parisian, and uh, when I told him, oh, you know, Paris, whatever, it's gonna, and he was like, yeah, I totally agree with you. I hate Paris. And he was like, and the worst thing about Paris is Parisians. People from Paris are just idiots. People from northern France are so much nicer. People from southern France are so much nicer. People but that's just the big city thing, right? People who say that about New Yorkers. No, nobody would ever say that about New Yorkers because New Yorkers are awesome. Nate, you live in L.A. What's your take on New York? Ah, why does L.A. know? Well, let, let me I've ask. never been in New York. I don't know. Really? Get the hell out nope. of here. You've nope. never been Nate. to New York? I have never been in New York City. I've been to Bogota, but never been to New York City. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you, is, kind of, you kind of blew my mind yeah, a little. Yeah, that is a little mind-blowing. It's a little mind-blowing to me, too. Wow. I've almost You've gone never... like five or six times, and I've just never gone. Wow. All right, we need to we need to get you there, yeah. buddy. Klaus, is there any big city city in the United States you haven't been to? Oh, I'm sure Dallas. I've been. I've yeah, been like Dallas. I haven't. Been, I mean, I've been to the airport in I Dallas. Mean, I've been to the airport. Houston. I've been to JFK. That's yeah, true. Yeah. I've never been to Dallas really? or Houston, and those are oh, wow. huge cities. No, I've been to both of those. Uh, I think the. The biggest city that I can think of right now that I've never been to is probably San Diego. Yeah, you're not missing much. Yeah, I'm granted, but... What? Maybe Portland. That open-air mall in La Jolla is to die for. <laughs> I went to the Radio Shack there to, to buy Polaroid film. <laughs> really? Okay, now listen, guys. 
So overall, I think we can agree that the tour was okay, but not amazing. It was boring. Okay, now listen to this. Let me let me ask both of you guys something. But wait, how can you... Wait, wait, wait. Who am I to believe? You guys are both telling me that it was boring, but no. on Eurosport, I was told they hadn't seen anything like this. <laughs> I can tell you, I don't think it was super boring. I, I think last year's was way worse. Way worse. It, it wasn't the best Tour of France in the world, Not, but it was, it was decent, it was good. But here's the question. If Quintana was riding, or rather, if Movistar had the riders that Sky had, basically. So if Quintana would have had Sky's guys riding for him, and Froome would have had Isagirre and all the Movistar guys, do you think that the roles would have been reversed and that Quintana would have won the tour? Mm, yes and no. <laughs> you can't answer that yes and no. <laughs> well, it... <sighs> It's it's tough because uh, I mean like if if like if you said if Valverde had been riding for Quintana I think you would have seen a different outcome but maybe not enough to win the tour. Um, yeah, I actually agree with that. I, I think that you could you could have given Sky as a team to Quintana and I still don't think that would have been enough that would have been enough to to I don't know in 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 the first two thirds of the race I don't think it would have been enough I think in the last week. I saw Sky a little bit weaker, and I saw Froome a little bit weaker. And if it was up to me, I mean, I thought basically Movistar was going to take advantage of that and just pummel him, and they just didn't. And now I don't know if that's because there was no legs to do it or because Unsue didn't really think that that was the right strategy. I'm not really sure why, but I think there was a couple of times where Froome was completely isolated. There were two or three Movistar guys there, and nobody did anything. If anything, I'm, the only person that ever did anything like that was Nibali. I'm totally with you. No, I like. I, I agree. I think that Sky was on the ropes in the Alps, and Movistar just did nothing. And yeah. uh, it was it was it was a really big bummer to me. I was I was expecting a really big um, show of force from Movistar, something to animate the race towards the end of the uh, end of the Alps. And yeah, I mean, and the a, only person it, from uh, from Movistar that stepped up was Winner Ancona. He yes yes like a champ. Yeah, like, for being his first tour, I think he did a very good job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He definitely was the man of the match for me for Movistar. <laughs> look, look, Ma, no hands. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. Um, so everyone knows Nate is watching the video of Richie Port almost crash out Chris Froome on the last day of the Tour de France. <laughs> He gets he gets speed wobbles and he's going at zero speed. What they're, is happening there? Well, and they're well, they're not going at zero speed. He's going probably a solid fifteen miles an hour. He's going yeah, fast true. enough to keep it upright. That's true. And not not but too slow to fall over, but yet still, he, he almost kills everyone on Sky on I, the last yeah. day of the tour. Do you really and, think that he can't do it? Like he really can't ride a bike? Like I I have I'm to see. Like maybe he has a pelvic season. condition. <laughs> I, oh. I wonder if I, I gotta go back and see any stages that he's won, any races he's won, and see if he celebrates with both hands of the handlebar. Mm, maybe there's that, a prerequisite for like Sky. See, you have to just have awful form. <laughs> so okay, right there, like no, you look too good on the bike. You're out. Okay, I'm gonna seriously nerd out here. And Klaus, I think I already told you that I've been watching this. There is a Japanese TV show called uh, Joamushi Pedal. 
and it's a cycling show. It's about like high, cycle, this high school and their cycling team and whatever, whatever. It's a cartoon anime thing. Yeah, it's an anime show, and uh, it, it's it's un- uh, unbelievable. It's amazing. I love. It's love Sailor it. Moon with. With bikes. Bikes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's horrible. No, no, no. I, the hell is Sailor Moon? It's amazing. The, the, the story is basically there's this little kid who um, just – it's super huge like comic book nerd and uses his bike. Like his family doesn't have a lot of money or whatever. He doesn't like taking the train into the city. So he rides his bike into the city and back like once a week to go and buy comic books, right? So – he actually is an amazing cyclist without even knowing it because he rides just like a regular grandma bike. And somebody from his high school cycling team sees him and then tells him, oh, we should race, whatever. It turns out this guy is really good. So he joins the team and they explain to him that he doesn't know anything about cycling. So they explain to him like what a climber is, what a sprinter is, how to ride in the peloton, the, everything. So they explain everything to this kid. And, you know, little by little, he gets better and better. So eventually he makes it to the, to the, to the final team that they pick to go into the, this thing called Interhigh, which is like the, like the stage race for the high schools in, in Tokyo or in the Tokyo. Wait, area. where is this going with Richie Port? Ah, wait. I, I'm it, waiting. It's going. It's not actually going to Richie Port. It's going to uh, Christopher Froome. They get there and there's a guy that at another team that is super tall and really, really, really skinny and he like always like bends his bones weird. He like, he's like a, like wait, a, he bends his bones or his joints? Uh, both, but I think it's supposed to be the joints, but they draw him like he's actually like moves around and stuff. And he cracks his joints like every time he moves and stuff. So he's like a weird insect thing. And when Jesus. he sits on that bike, it is so bizarre. He says that he rides the smallest frame that they make, but then uses a humongous, humongous, uh, whatchamacallit, for his... Stem. For, stem for his, uh, for the handlebars and for the, for his saddle. So it looks like a weird circus bike, but he says that his strategy is that way, it weighs less because it's a smaller frame or whatever. Point being, when he bends into that bike, it's like a spider in, like, and his knees are all sticking out and his elbows are all crazy. He looks just like Chris Froome. So there, that, that's it. That was my That was, that yeah. took a really long time. That was long. I got, I, I, I won't lie. I started perusing Wikipedia. For Joe Mushi pedal? Um, actually, I was reading about King Diamond. How cool is King Diamond, huh? I just saw him live last year here in uh, Pittsburgh. He was awesome. I just, just like that he has a microphone with a femur and a tibia. Uh yeah, and he has, it's a, it has a name. He bends his bones all kind of weird <laughs> into a microphone. Anyway, anyway, guy, Tour de France. He lives in Houston. Yeah, or is it in Dallas? No, I think he lives outside of Dallas. I think. Yeah. So imagine Nate, that guy King Diamond, who's super evil. He now lives in the United States and is really into NASCAR. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It's the most unevil thing ever. Uh, buckets of fried so chicken. I'm not, so the thing is this, Richie Port, I've looked it up. Like when he wins stages, he sometimes is able to raise both hands. But I'm telling you, like a couple of years ago when Chris Froome won, he couldn't do it. When there was the picture time. His nickname so. is Tasmanian Devilfish. 
Devil fish? According to Wikipedia, it's Tasmanian devil fish. Huh, I guess Wikipedia knows best. Is the devil fish something that I, we should I, know about? Oh, oh, wait, maybe it's Tasmanian devil and then fish. Okay, if not, we just made up a really great nickname for him. Because he's wiggly like a fish on his bike. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm reading Wikipedia's uh, description of that cycles that I was telling you about in that TV show. And it says, he's unusually tall and has exceptionally long limbs. That's Chris Room for you. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, Chris Room can pop wheelies. What? And he's not all Sagan about it. I Nate, just want to point that out. Nate, I have a question for, for yes. you since you actually ride a bike for real and stuff. How difficult is it to pop a wheelie in a road bike? I've never even tried. I'm sure I, I would never do it. I could never do it. But how difficult is it? So, one, it's pretty easy. Two, the last time I popped a wheelie, I almost broke my tailbone. So, hmm. I, I, I don't do those anymore. But so it's, it's easy, it's, it's but not you hard. could break your butt. Yes, Hmm. My my problem is that I tend to wheelie too hard and then I die. Uh huh. Nate, don't wheelie so hard that you die. Yeah. Uh, you know. Okay. Fruit does it, and I'm just like, wow, yeah, he does it when he wins the Tour de France at the Champs Elysees. That seems like an appropriate time to do it. Yep. But he He's looks like, so fucking horrible on a bicycle. Really yeah, does. just imagine when he pops a wheelie. It looks like he's humping the bike. Like, even when he's just... I'm looking at this picture you just sent me with Richie Port holding onto the bars. Um, yeah. He, he, you just want to punch him in the face. Is, is that normal? <laughs> is there something <laughs> wrong with someone me? pop a wheelie? No, just like looking at, at, at Chris Froome on the bike. Like, he just... There's just this... He looks so awkward that you're like... Please stop doing that. Well, this guy, this guy in this TV show that I keep uh, comparing him to, his name is Akira Midosushi. So maybe, uh, maybe we should like give him a, a, from that nickname, Akira Midosushi. That's too long. Ah, damn it. I, I mean, I wonder if there's <laughs> other guys that are that awkward on the bike, but you just don't realize it because they're, you know, on they're not on TV all that often. But I've never seen a guy on like a breakaway or. Anything that looks that bizarre. Yeah, usually with enough time on a bike, you become really kind of one with it and shit. Well, because any kind of weirdness gets kind of softened out because it becomes more fluid, right? Y- yeah, yeah, I something mean. Something like that. Y- you sort of just become naturally a lot more, yeah, one with the bike and, and very graceful on it. This, yeah, the way he rides, just like, I look at it and I want to vomit. By the way, I just want to point out, I sent my brother and Nate an image, which my brother can post if you wish, which was a couple years ago when they were crossing the line as a team and they're all holding, you know, giving each other a hug. And Richie Port not only has one hand on the handlebars, but he's also at like a 12 degree angle towards Froome, again, potentially crashing him out. Oh, you know what I just checked out too, The, the Tama drum set that you were talking about. Played by Matt, yeah. Matt Thompson from King Diamond is four hundred dollars. Camden County, New Jersey, get on it. Yeah, I mean, any New Jersey residents out there, really, like, get on it. Yeah, any New Jersey and if residents. Anyone wonders how I find these things? Let's just say that I go through 
the Craigslist in every city in the United States looking for used drum sets that have been used by people that played for King Diamond. Um, you have your thing. I have yeah. my thing. I have to say this to anybody in New Jersey: move out. Yeah, <laughs> you're living but in a crappy move place. Move out after you buy this drum set because it is awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, so here is. Um, oh shoot! Where the heck did I put my notes here? I wanted to like go through some numbers here from teams. So Lotto Sudal won four stages. So their tour was pretty good. Uh, well, Andre Greipel won four stages. Uh, yeah. So that's amazing. Uh, that was amazing. Yeah. BMC. Kind of out of the blue. BMC won three. Remember there used to be a, day, a time when Mark Cavendish was just unbeatable? Like He, he was, was on my fantasy team for that very reason. He used to be unbeatable. Wait, 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 and wait. wait. Now, he was so on your fantasy team for this tour? Maybe. My um, God, I feel I feel a little shame, yeah. shameful right now. I had Sagan yeah. in mind, but Sagan, even with the green jersey, wouldn't have given me as many points as Andrew Greipel did. Nate King is the kind of guy that's like, you know, what movie's going to open number one this weekend? That one with Richard Grieco. <laughs> <laughs> you put all your eggs in the Richard Grieco basket. Who doesn't? Everyone knows you never put your eggs in the Richard Grieco basket. That movie, If Looks Could Kill, was a one-shot deal. I actually saw the movie If Looks Could Kill at the theater. He won the tour, like, by number of stages, one. Like Richard years. Grieco? Well. <laughs> Mark like Cavendish. Flint. That guy. Uh, yeah. yeah. I wonder, anyway. so what's going to, you know, he says, well, I'm the same. Other people got faster. He's um, just, he's getting old and slower. Yeah. And, and that's fine. I mean, he was world champion. That happens. He, he won a boatload Spencer's of stages. Got like a three-year burn time. Now he has to decide what he's going to do with the rest of his career. You know, he's so. like an NFL running back, right? They're cannon fodder. Well, the problem, with, the, the difference though, is that an, a, a running back will run out of legs, and then he'll run out of career. Whereas a sprinter can turn his career into either being a, you know, like a, a part of a train. Or, or they can guy, like yeah. yeah like a lead out man or they can like become a like a uh, what do you call that? like a classic specialist yeah or, you know like a I mean, you can, ruler yeah exactly you can do yeah. different things you can actually just so some all that well, said could, Mark yeah. Cavendish is thirty and Andre Greipel is thirty three <laughs> okay good good point so let's go good with point. a different take <laughs> also Greipel is not really. He's not built like like a tiny sprinter who's supposed oh. to be all aerodynamic and shit. No, he's he's, he's six feet tall and yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, you know what he's like. Have he has, he has a pointy someone? nose, though. He has a pointy nose. That helps. He does have pointy mm-hmm. nose and big ears. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen someone driving down the highway with a mattress on top of the car and they only tied it in the middle so the front end is like flipping up? <laughs> yes. They're going 60 miles an hour and they're like, wow, the car feels heavy and the mattress is like putting up resistance. That's Andre Greipel. Big dude, but he can go real fast. Really fast. It doesn't help that he's always wearing a skin suit. Mm. At least for making him not look so big. Not look so big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's what does. That's why he wins. I like that. Was dude. Mark Cavendish wearing a skin suit? Was he riding his McLaren bike with uh, the crappy bikes that with the crappy the, brakes? The new Venge. The Venge. The Venge Vias or whatever. Yeah, yeah. he barely used it because the brakes don't work. Yeah, that was getting Allegedly. swapped out. 
back and forth Alleged. several times throughout the tour. Alleged. I don't think the podcast wants to be sued by Specialized. No. Speaking no, of Specialized, though, uh, Omega Pharma Quickstep won three stages, one of which was Cavendish, one was Seabar, and one was Tony Martin. So... It was a pretty good. It was a pretty good team. I know a lot of people were like, "Oh, what a crappy team to back Uran up." Uran wasn't gonna do anything. We all knew he was gonna run out of batteries after the first day, like week, week and a half, because he was just coming back from the Giro and stuff. And I knew he wasn't gonna do anything, so it didn't really matter. I think they got away. They they, they had a great Giro. They were in a lot of really really good breakaways. They got three state three stages. I think they should be happy. They should be just just fine. BMC. Yeah. BMC, same thing. They got a yellow jersey, three stages. Can't go wrong with that. Sammy Sanchez came good towards the end. I saw his face a couple of times. TJ Van Garderen was doing wonderful until he was bye-bye. So amazing. Love it. Very happy for them. AG2R, two stages. They did really well as well. I saw plenty oh, of them ah. on the screen. Oh. I was Maybe happy. Oh. Yeah, they got one with... Um, um, What's the name? Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, shoot. Viermo. Yeah. And then the other one was Bardet. Bardet, was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bardet. Yeah, he got one. Yeah. So, good for them. Katusha got two. Both of them, Joaquim Rodriguez, but it still counts. And then Lampre got one with... Um... Katusha also had the cocaine positive. Yeah. Oh yeah, which is awesome. So that, awesome. that so they had a great tour, and then um, what's the name of the guy from Lamprey that won the Ruben Plaza, won the that stage Astana won one with um, Nibali. Nibali, FDJ won one with Pinot, Sky won one with um, Froome, Saxo won one with um, Rafael Maika. And Mountain Chewbacca won with uh, Stephen Cummings. Now, so that is your that is, car or Kofi disc? Nothing. Nothing. Out. And that is kind of saying. the beauty of like Sky ruining the GC battle is that the rest of the stage wins get parceled out to everyone else. Everyone else. No, absolutely. That's true. And here's the thing. So that Mark Because Mark Matteo would be living in a van by the river if FTJ <laughs> doesn't get a stage. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that Pinot got that stage, I mean... I mean, absolutely, hats off. He did a great job, but Jesus Christ. I, and, and I felt completely cheated, too, because I see Tivo Pino coming up, and then he celebrates, and I'm like, where's Mark Medio? There's no, there's no screaming out the side of a car. There's nothing. What, what's going on? I think they, Yeah, they, all of a sudden, when you don't see that, you're them. like, wait, is it like a circuit, and this isn't the right lap? You, no. you yourself start to doubt it. I'm thinking, am, really I, am, I, am, I, am I dreaming? Is this not real? I don't know. Or I'm thinking, oh, my God, Mark Medio died. Yeah, because he saw his mortgage payment was due and the team is probably going to end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. so I'll Can I say... ask you guys a quick question yeah. without getting too – because we don't want to delve too deeply into the doping waters, but this is not really doping. Do you think he was doing coke during the tour or that it was a trace of coke that he was doing four months earlier when he took the blood out? Oh, you mean um... – um, Beardy McBeardo. Uh, Paulini. Oh, I thought you were talking about Mark Madio. Mm. Still, I was like, Mark Madio still does coke every day. Uh, Allegedly. That's a really Allegedly. tough call. I think that he is. 
I want to say careless and not dumb. I think it was during. But I think that he's careless enough to have done really? it during. Yeah, it just seems it like that personality. Never met the dude, of course, but he just seems that they kind of got to be like, ah, fuck it. I think it was. Yeah, no, like, totally. I could see him going balls deep one night, at least three days earlier, and not caring because, I mean, who the fuck's going to test Luca Paolini at the tour? Yeah. And then random comes up and he's like, ah, shit. In a Ned Bolting book, I think it's Ned Bolting, he has a story of coming back to the the hotel during a tour or something like that. And it's really late at night and there's just some mechanics and Luca Paolini is like, completely drunk with them like some years ago that so sounds about right yeah yeah i mean i don't there are plenty of world tour guys like that they'll just get shit-faced during a grand tour yeah i mean i think for a lot of them it probably all they're gonna lose is so, a little bit of sleep and then yeah they're gonna be a little dehydrated the next day but it's not like they have a whole lot of work to do the next day then mm-hmm Remember when the Schlex got kicked out of the Vuelta for having a drink during the tour, the Vuelta, though? Oh, yeah. When was that? Oh, God. That was that was Leopard Trek, wasn't it? And no, I think it was CS or yes. Saxo Bank. Huh. Yeah, and Reese kicked them, maybe yeah. both of them out. Remember when the Schlex existed? <laughs> yeah. I don't. Wait, did Frank did not, did Frank race this, uh? No, he wasn't in the tour. He wasn't there. He's in the team, but yeah, he's not there. Huh. He, he wasn't there. Ever. He was washing bikes. Yeah. Okay, now listen. Those were the teams that did well, that had something to at least be proud of. I'm not going to even talk about Bora, Argon, because nobody expected anything from them. And, I mean, Jan Barta did really, really well. He finished 25th, which is not bad at all. I saw them in breaks and stuff like that. So I think that Bora did better than I expected. I did not expect much from him. But Orica Greenwich, outside of the Yates brothers being here and there on TV, it was horrible. Well, they all crashed out. Well, yeah, it, no stages, of course, and Adam Yates was their best uh, at fiftieth. So there was it, it was just terrible, terrible, forgettable tour for them. Not their fault, of course, because of the crashes, but pretty sad. Uh, and then there's teams that their whole season, their whole year revolves around the Tour de France. That's it. Is the only race that they have to worry about. I'm talking about Cofidis. Breton Chula or Breton Sasha Environment and Europe Car. That's it. That's yeah. all they have to worry about. These three yeah. teams, all they have to worry about is the Tour de France. And they go there and, and they look just... look how well they did. They oh, all did yeah. They well, right? Yeah. Europe Car were on TV for about 10 minutes with Pierre Roland. He was 10th. All right. So he made it to the top 10. But come on. Thomas Volkler didn't There was nothing from Volkler. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. It was... I was so bummed. At Terrible tour for them. On TV. A terrible tour for them. Uh, Bretagne Sechet, uh, Perry Fredrigo was their highest uh, ranked dude, 52nd. They didn't win a stage, obviously. And they really weren't in a lot of breaks. I saw them here and there, but Coffee is by far. Uh. I, I, they lost Buhani. Early on, I know. Yeah, the losing Buhani. But early. They, you can't put all your eggs in one basket if this is in the... In a Buhani basket? I, I was hoping Daniel Navarro would do something, but... Nothing. The only person that kind of sort of did something, and I saw him on TV just like, Pew! was uh, Luis Angel Mate. And, yeah, and he got dropped out of the break. 
Yeah, exactly. And he I finished. Was like, when, when he just vanished and Eurosport said nothing, I was like, oh. Yeah. He finished 43rd and he was their highest ranked guy. I mean, there is absolutely and, no excuse for Coffee And this is exactly this why American tour. Classic as a wheel company was able to sponsor them for a year. Yeah. Because I think if you give them $20 and a bag of Sour Patch candy, you can get them to use your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's really crazy. I mean, Mountain Chewbacca owned these teams. Not only were they on the brakes, but like Tequila Halahama, Halahama, Hama not wore the polka dot jersey sure for one day with two points, whatever. They were on TV. They were on the brakes. They won a stage. It was exciting. Bosenhagen almost looked like he knew what he was doing for about 30 seconds. And Kovidis didn't do anything. Britain Sachet didn't do anything. And, and uh, Europe Card didn't do anything. And like I said, and I'll say it again, this is it for these guys. They have nothing else going on. Nothing else matters for these people except for the Tour de France. And why show up to the Tour de France if you're not going to show up here? All right, Buhani crashed. Guys, we are giving up the idea of sprinting because we don't have Buhani anymore. Let's go out there tomorrow and just get on the break. Two of you guys, get on the break. Oh, you couldn't do it today? Let's do it tomorrow. No, none at all. They just didn't do it. So they feel like it. <sighs> so sad. It, uh, yeah. Coffee I, was just a sad, sad team. I, I, I speak from a position of, I don't know, grain of salt and all that because I kind of work for one of their main sponsors. So. Oh, yeah, I know. I, oh, I'm sorry that I made a joke about American Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I didn't even realize that that's... All the dudes were like, Really psyched for Kofidis coming up to the tour, and then during the tour, silence, yeah, total uh, silence. So yeah, 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 I mean that's the that's the thing that you have to figure. Like all this stuff has a ripple effect of everyone thinking. I mean, you know, for example, Cervello not being with a huge team, but so they go with the smaller team, and I'm sure they're happy. They're oh, like, they gotta, they gotta hey, be. Right. Oh yeah, Cervello's stoked, Envy's stoked, yeah. all those companies the are Cervello, stoked. Yeah. I'll tell right? you what. So they're like, cool. Those bikes looked sweet. The Cervellos. They that looked rad. The job was just cool. I mean, I would never ride that. They were loud as hell. But, dude, they were nice. That jersey is freaking hideous, though. But the the fact that, so bad. Oh. The fact that all of us knew what the bikes kind of looked like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. Good. Absolutely. No, definitely good, good, uh, good for Mount Chewbacca. I'm very happy. But, you know, I mean, last episode I went on the rant about, like, how sad it is that all of a sudden this team from South Africa represents the whole continent and people just thinking, like, oh, Africa is just the same. It doesn't really matter. What's the difference, you know? Like, oh, Nairo Quintana came in second, man. I'm sure Argentines are pleased. Like, what? What? He's a, well, there was a, a, there's, a uh, the guy that wore the polka dot jersey is from Eritrea, right? Yeah, exactly. So good for them. But and I said it last last episode. Do you think that people in Togo or Ghana give a crap? No. Nor By should the way, they. This brings up something that the two of you will understand. I don't know if some of the people listening will understand why this is kind of weird, and I hope they so don't it'll misunderstand. Fit, so it'll it. fit right in with the rest of the podcast. Right. So on my blog, I saw a, put a, a sizable uptick in people uh, arriving 
to it and to things I've written about Nairo Quintana from a post on a cycling forum somewhere where someone was saying, wow, this is the first Native American person to be really successful at the Tour de France. That's actually a really good point. It is, and at the same time, it's kind of bizarre and twisted. Well, because Nairo well, Quintana is a Colombian, but the thing that, though, like so is many that, Colombians, is has Native blood, as yeah, my brother well, and I that's, do. That's the difference, though, between. Native Americans, or what people call Native Americans, a stupid term anyway. In the United States. In the United in the States, are, are still have remained separate from white people and black people in the United States because when the white people came in from Europe, they slaughtered or used them as slaves. In yeah, Colombia, in most really of Central mixing. America and South America, they came in and they... Slaughtered them too, but the ones that lived became... It was all became a mix. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was just a big fat mix. So while, sure, Quintana may have some of the facial features of a native, of a pre-Columbian native, um, he, in reality, he's basically as native as we are. He's, you know? he's a Colombian. In the way he's that I've always said, yeah. so this gets into complex stuff that we Probably are not even. Oh, what about when they shouldn't call, even tackle? But what about when they call Teka Halama not uh, African American? Huh? That's awesome. He's no, no, no. They did. They they call him that. Mike is the one that has the little really blurb. Yeah. Even though he's not American. Yeah. Oh. He's African African. Yes. But people are so Af- afraid to say that, to say black that they have to come up with some silly term, and the only well, term they can what, think of is so African American. That's why. I Which mean, this all gets term. into race and ethnicity things that are too weird to tackle, uh, certainly in a uh, podcast like this. But I've always said, like, for example, I'm only Latino in the United States. In Colombia, I'm not Latino. I'm Colombian. And in Europe, I'm Colombian. And in Uruguay, I'm Colombian. But here, I'm Latino. You are also Colombian, but yeah, you're Latino. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's all wonky. I just I noticed that, and I was reading that forum, and I was like... What? And I thought you were Mexican here. Well, yeah. <laughs> Number one, you're Mexican. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but listen, Sadly. it actually depends. In New York City, I'm not Mexican or Colombian. I'm Puerto Rican. You're Puerto, Puerto, Rican. Say Puerto Rican. Yeah. 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 In Miami, I'm Cuban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the Mexican. way, when I say sadly about being Mexican, I mean that. Not in like, oh, I don't want to be Mexican. I mean, and sadly, that's the misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know. I, Klaus, I told you this too. It, from our new uh, server in the podcast, and actually, by the way, we want to thank all our new sponsors. I got like a, a report of where people are listening, and we have one person that listens in Gabon in in Africa. Man, we got to say hello to that guy. Yeah. Mr. He's Gabon. probably like military special forces or something. Yeah, I wonder. I can tell you this, though. Um... I had to look up where Gabon is, and I'm no dummy. I actually know the African continent quite well, but I had to look up where Gabon was. I'd heard the name, of course, but I didn't know exactly where it is, but now I know. Is it on the western coast? I can't remember now, but yeah, I think so. <laughs> so anyway, guys, that's it. We have uh, no more time. No. Nate, thank you very Uh-oh. much for um, covering for Mike, the mom. Certainly. 
was probably so on a hot date. we have a theory that, yeah, that Mike is out on a date and he didn't want to tell us about it. Yes. What What do the listeners think Mike is up to? It'd be interesting. I would like to know what you think that Mike is up to. Hey, tweet us at Speed Metal Cycle and then tweet, I'll give you a use tweet Mike too at Gage DeSoto. And then, uh, yeah. And then l- let him know what you think he was doing. I think he was on a date, but maybe he is refinishing his hardwood floors. We mm. should Instagram stalk him. That would tell us. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. What He's is hardly he ever to? on Instagram, though. He's changing Look. the oil in his non-existent car. Let's see. What yeah. is Mike Spriggs doing? <laughs> Maybe he broke the bottom bracket on his bike again. Remember, <laughs> he was so powerful that he broke the bottom bracket on his bike. That was awesome. On his townie. Nate, you're super powerful, and you've like raced bikes and done all kinds of stuff. Have you ever broken the bottom bracket on your bike? I have never broken a bottom bracket, but I broke an axle in my rear hub last week. Hmm. Really? Yes. You were super torquey? <laughs> or just super fat? <laughs> I think the latter. Yes. Oh, yeah, it would no. be really difficult to break that from torque. That reminds me of a story that Mike D from the Beastie Boys once told about when Biz Marquis, the rapper, came to the studio in L.A. And Mike D had a lowrider bicycle. This is in the early 90s. And Biz Marquis sat on it and he popped both tires. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> they all laughed because they thought it was funny. Like, they were like, ha-ha, he'll find it funny. But then Bismarck, he, like, was kind of tearing up. Like, he did not find it that funny. Now, now that I ride a bike, I don't know how he... I'm guessing there was dry rot involved. But the description he gave was that he popped the tires. <laughs> go with that. Yeah, let's go, go with that. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. We didn't talk about Juan Pablo. Juan Pablo what? Oh, my lord. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, my lanta. It's far more interesting than the tour, in my opinion, but... Yeah, yeah well, say? I put it this way. All I'll say is this. People should go to alpsandandes.com. Actually, alpsandes.com. Alpsandes, yeah. And then go and read the the interview that Klaus did with the cyclist from Colombia, Juan Pablo Villegas. If you don't know the whole story, it's, this is basically the second interview. In the first interview, he talked a lot about a lot of just rotten shit that is going on in Colombian cycling nowadays in Colombia. And then because he gave that interview, he got a lot of threats and <clears throat> basically has forced him to quit the sport. He's not allowed to race anymore in Colombia. He was threatened. that They said if he continues to ride, they're going to make sure that he never wins a race again. And there's been physical threats against, made against him and stuff. And anyway, so this, this interview that Klaus has in his blog right now is an interview about just that how he came to the decision to quit and uh, and kind of what it means for him and for the sport. And it, it's a real, real, real true bummer. Because on one side, you have the Rigoberto Uran stories and the Nairo Quintana stories and, and these stories that are awesome for Colombian cycling. But meanwhile, there is just absolute corruption and horribleness going on in Colombia, which goes on in other countries, I might say. And... I think that as cycling fans, we're so happy to see like these races that are that are done in Europe. Meanwhile, the smaller federations all over the world are just corrupt, filthy, disgusting, just absolute shit piles. And so this guy tried to like kind of point some fingers, not specifically, but he upset the wrong people, and they've actually yeah. 
They've actually Mind bullied you, him all the sport. He, he bullied was, him all the sport. It, he was very responsible and actually, I think, did it he in ne- a very sort of tactful way. Never said yeah, any He never said any names. He just said, yeah, there's dopey in Colombian cycling. Yeah, that's and all he said. The fact that this is happening, I think, and I said this in the, in the blog, but I don't know. It kind of bums me out about cycling. Not that it took this, believe me. I, I think all of us know what's going on. Like, we know it's all of that. It's just that when it's something this. Uh, kind I mean, of here like for me, like, this is this is yeah, the I mean, this when, is the when, to me this is the this is the this is the the difference. A guy doping, a guy cheating in order to win a race is a bummer. A guy being threatened and having to quit the sport because he's afraid for his life and his families because of something he said, because of doping, it's a completely different thing. It's the difference between being like, oh man, that's a bummer, and holy shit, this is messed up. This kid, who's a professional cyclist, has to retire from the profession that he loves, that he's good at, because he talked too much. The worst part was that when he came here, there were white kids accusing him of doping. Yeah, I know, that's another whole thing. That just made my stomach turn. It's like, Omerta is more than a a word in Colombia, and here it's like, yeah, I don't dope, I'm clean, and that's cool, and that'll never get you, that'll never put your family under duress, or that'll Yeah, I mean, for example, and, you know, think of Phil Gaiman. Yeah. um, Who, you know, again, you know, from what I can tell, like, totally cool guy, you know, everything, you know, good for him, like, he has that tattoo and stuff. I just bring him up as a point of reference because, like, if you had that tattoo in Colombia, it You'd would never race be, a bike. quote, unquote, brave. Yeah, like, something really bad could happen to you. And, you know, one thing that's weird is that I've noticed, because, again, I the, the spike in traffic to the website was so insanely severe that I just had to look at where people were coming from. And... It's funny how a lot of people take it because they kind of miss the point. People are like, well, clearly people like Quintana are doping because look at what's going on in Colombia. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you're missing the point. Like, this is what's going on in cycling. Yeah. And by the way, like, there's not necessarily a connection, but I think people are just looking at it as a country. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there. It's just kind of like, Man, you can't just hyper-focus. Like, are you sure? How do you think that this isn't happening in other countries? And now I've spoken to other people who are sort of in the know that started to tell me of other things. And, like, of course it's happening in other countries. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got teammates who race in Europe. and Or not teammates. I shouldn't say that anymore. But friends who, who race in Europe and say, yeah, the same thing happens there. And, and uh, no, it was kind of funny. I was trolling Slow Twitch, the triathlon forum, the other day, mostly because yeah. I, I want to be able to sell in their classifieds. Anyway, uh, uh-huh. and, I, and uh-huh. I came across like a Juan Pablo Viegas thread, and I was like, what the hell? Uh-huh. So the reach is definitely there. And there were some guys that were like, oh, it's just a Colombian problem. And then as you read through the thread, you realized that there were some guys who were like, no, this is a problem everywhere. And it's a problem in triathlon. It's a problem in other yeah, sports. Yeah. And... It's not limited to just Colombia. Yeah, and I think so. Uh, uh, journalists from Switzerland for a newspaper there, and one for Germany, uh, asked to, to talk to me, and they're doing stories about it. And again, I, I think the focus isn't necessarily like there's doping in Colombia. It's like, no, there's intimidation in cycling. And, 
yes, this is happening in Colombia, but let's look at it as kind of a, a cultural thing within a sport. And then we can break it down and look at it in the Colombian sense, because of course there's problems in Colombia. Like by all means, let's look at that. But I think people are sometimes coming at it from an unusual angle. But yeah, I mean, to say it's a bummer would be a gigantic understatement. It's it's awful, and I can't imagine. You know, I've always said throughout all of this that, like, for me, it's easy. You know, I live in the United States. Like, hey, whatever. Like, let's run the story. But Juan Pablo actually lives in Colombia. He's dealing with this. The without getting into specifics, like the economic repercussions that this is having on his life are are terrible I mean, his he, whole yeah, life has he lost his done. job over this well, there you go but no I mean, I mean he's a married guy you know and and so yeah and he lost I mean, his job because he opened his mouth yeah. yep yeah and i mean i think and you know talking to him I, the thing that you want to say it's like god at the end of it you're just like god damn it threats work and you know, theoretically, you could say, show them, show them that threatening doesn't work. Yeah, that's easy for me to say. I live in the United States. Plus, I mean, the go threats. Out training, I mean, one of the threats. Yourself through the streets of Medellin after these threats have been made alone. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, you know? some of the threats weren't even like, we're going to kill you or anything. But one of the threats was like, you're never going to win again. So why bother racing? Because we're going to take you down. So even that threat is like, no, I'll continue to, to race. What team is going to say, yeah, you come and race for us, knowing that the first chance that anybody else in the peloton gets to push you off your bike, they will. So why would any team at all ever give you another job or even as simple as and i mean only cycling fans that understand a sport would understand the whole idea of um lance armstrong chasing down simeone right yep like yeah. that there are times because someone doesn't understand the sport they go what do you mean they're letting him win it's like no they're not letting him win it's just that lance armstrong in the yellow jersey is not going to chase that guy because it doesn't freaking matter and it doesn't make any sense so the fact that anyone and every single team would chase him down for no reason at all makes him useless to a team yeah, i mean it, it's he one is useless 190 yep yeah no they yeah so even useless. if like say okay so now he's just like uh nobody that's fetching bottles for his team what if the entire peloton just like attacks to drop him while he's getting bottles? You're useless. You can't even fetch bottles. That could happen. Yeah. It doesn't in normal races because that wouldn't make any sense. But they're saying they would do that. So, yeah. Matter. So, I mean, so these threats are coming from obviously from riders, from DSs, from team managers, from federation types. They're coming from everybody, from everybody in Colombia. They're all in the they're all in the know. It's like a it's like a click and they run the sport in Colombia. And I am sure that that's happening in other places. It it has to. There's no way that there, there isn't. So, I mean, yeah. It yeah, is. I mean, and the more I hear, it—I uh. mean, the—it's it, in Colombia. Cycling is a way out, and yeah. the the culture, so the cycling culture there is so strong that you have so many people riding, and, and the talent pool is so deep. And then the drugs are available over the over the counter, and yeah. I, I think it has a lot to do with the isolation. 
which mm. exists because the Federation is a bunch of dirty motherfuckers. Well, and then there's that. That's, yeah. For me, for me, one of the most important things that could happen with cleaning the sport in Colombia, and if it gets cleaned everywhere else, beautiful, granted, I don't care. But the, the Vuelta Colombia could become, again, an international race that is respected. More oh, Colombians it's, it's... would be able to race in Europe. More Colombians would be able to just leave the country and race internationally. And that's what I want. I, I don't care about any of the other stuff. It doesn't really matter to me if people dope or don't dope or whatever, because I think that's been going on forever and it's going to continue to go on. And that's a conversation that is never going to end. But short term, I would love for these assholes to just disappear. That way, Colombia can become a real cycling country as opposed to what we are right now, which is a country with a lot, a lot, a lot of talent. But nobody there to uh, help these cyclists grow responsibly. Yep. And that's something that, you know, and again, because people go, whatever, let them dope, whatever. If you don't care, or if you, it's okay. You don't have to care, whatever. You can enjoy the sport any which way you want. Just consider the fact that it's not just about a guy doping and making you feel cheated because you had his poster and you thought he was great because he won a big race in Europe. And now you feel dumb because you have to take down the poster. That's one level. But consider the intimidation, the people's lives that are really like being put in danger. Yeah, let's, not forget, let's not forget that when we, say, when we say doping, we're talking about illegal drugs. Yeah, and anytime not, you carry illegal drugs from point A to point B, it's called drug trafficking, and that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about like just the sport of cycling. There's the health risks, like there's, the G. I, a, yeah. What, what what's the name of that drug class? The GW something. Fifty. Yeah, like whatever. The yeah. one that causes cancer in lab rats within about sixty days. The guys yeah, in Colombia so, were trying out. It's just like holy so, shit, guys. And that, of course, you have to realize. Like in that case, it is not available over the counter, so someone has to traffic it and if someone tries to do something about that enterprise they have to protect that enterprise and we know what that entails and you get into things that even happen here in the united states uh well i won't say the names but everyone knows of young people that were being injected with things without their knowledge that's happened in colombia it happened here in the united states with really prominent riders and trainers that are out there doing good business and you know, you're 15 years old and you're being injected with things and you don't know what they are. And it turns out they're very serious things. And then the parents are being sent the bill for injecting their kids with these things. So even again, you know, there's that level, but I just ask that people think about these other things. And the fact that they're, you know, a lot of times these are enterprises that have to be protected. And that means that you can intimidate that all the things that we've seen at the big scale, Lance Armstrong scale, but look at the ripple effect and how it goes down at other levels too. Okay, guys, I got to cut it short because we've been like chit-chatting way too long. Plus, it's a topic that we purposely try to avoid. Way to bring it up, Nate. Sorry. No, it's just, you know why? I, I mean, I try to avoid it for many, many reasons. One, it's been talked about to death, whatever. But probably the most important one is that it just gets me riled up. Gets me really angry. It gets my brother going. And then we could do a three-hour podcast where it would just be us bitching about something. That the reason why I sometimes try not to address it in too much depth, to be honest, is that there's people that know a ton about this yeah. in a good way. And I like I maybe don't. Yeah, number I, one I, and I, number if, two, I also don't want to become like you know the people that become obsessed with like chemtrails. 
Uh, no offense to any of you out there. That, but here's just, the thing, though. Yeah, Klaus, I, you I say, normally don't address it either, just for that reason, and and it, it's rare that I do. But when it happens to one of my friends, yeah, I can this kinda, is pretty. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we should obviously say that Juan Pablo Villegas, who we were just talking about, was racing for the team that you were racing in as well, Nate. So you know him, and he was your co, your teammate or whatever. So just in case people didn't know. Um, but Klaus said something really interesting. He said that he doesn't like talking about it because there's people out there that know more about it than he does. But then if that was the case, then this podcast wouldn't exist because everybody out there knows more than any of us about every single one of these topics. But nah, we talk Nate about, is excluded. Nate is excluded. Of course. I'm talking about the core. The core. Nate has popped a wheelie. True. I have. Nate has crashed while popping a wheelie. And he has broken a hub. Nate has broken a hub. Nate, have you had the poops during a race? Um, yes. Oh. I have had the poops Nate during a race. Nate has had the poops. So basically, we're talking to a high-level athlete here with experience. He has had the poops, and he pooped on a hub. Yes. Okay. So there you go. That's, we only get the very best to cover for Mike. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I want to thank both of you guys. Thanks, Nate, for for coming on, especially on such short notice. Definitely, Klaus, uh, welcome back. It's a pleasure to have you back. I hope you enjoy your new thank home, you. and thank you. Uh, that you come visit soon. Um, we will probably take a little break, and we'll probably be back in two weeks or so. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Well, we're gonna not do anything during the tour of Utah. It's a very uh, important race. I'm, Larry H. Guys, Miller. Guys. Larry H. Miller. Guys. All right. In the name of unicorns, have a good one, guys. Follow us on... Uh, actually, why do I always say follow us on Twitter? I never tweet anything. So don't follow us on Twitter. Speed Metal so Cycling. So instead just say go buy a car from Larry H. Miller. Go buy a car from Larry H. Miller. <laughs> All right. That's it. We're out of here. Peace. <laughs>